We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Don't worry, we have a brand new competition for who can be Arsenal's left eight. This is the Arsenal Vision Post-Match Podcast. My name is Elliot Smith, the Glockman, Twitter, Inc. Gunner. That's right, every season there's got to be a position where we go, oh, I think this guy should be, no, he should be that guy. And usually one of the guys we put forward is totally random from a position he shouldn't even be playing. And so I can go back and remember a time when Thomas Vermaelen was going to be our defensive midfielder. Remember that? Thomas Vermaelen, he can step in and do it. As it turns out, he did not step in and do it. But with Alexander Zinchenko scoring against England, arriving late in the box to score beautifully, could he be the left eight? I do think if Urian Timber was fit, we might have that conversation in earnest. As it stands, I don't think we are going to have that conversation, although I have seen it put out there. We got a few bits and pieces to discuss today, including Nicola Pepe's departure, and I think it leads to an interesting conversation about Arsenal and selling. Is there a reason Arsenal aren't good at selling? Are Arsenal worse at selling than other clubs? Does it even matter? Let's discuss that a bit, because I I think that's out there in the ether, and it is certainly a fair question in the wake of our 72 million pound previous record signing leaving for free. So we will discuss that. Um, We may even touch on the unfortunate uh, story of the Arsenal women crashing out of Europe and whether Jonas Eideval might be the manager of the moment that everybody can want out of the club. Because at any given time, you have to have someone uh, that you want out of the club. So maybe Jonas Eideval can step up to the mantle of being the person that we want out of the club. We'll see. We'll see. There's a lot of things to get through there. Uh, First half and second half rewatch uh, are up on Patreon and coming in a day or so. Our power rankings, I think it's one of the most fun things we do over there. If you want to check it out, that'll be out in about a day. And it's basically us going through the other clubs and laughing at them where appropriate, ranking them, saying the state of where they are and getting a sense of what we are up against. So. Uh, the man who will be doing that with me on Patreon is the man who is here to do this pod with me now. His name is Clive. You can find him on Twitter at Clive PFC. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. Two cups of coffee in today, so we are ready to go. And if you missed it, by the way, the pod we did on Thursday, I hope you'll catch it. We had Tom Canton from Football.London and the Gooner Talk on, but also uh, Jacob Hawley, who is a stand-up comedian, but also lifelong Arsenal supporter, um, did a did a stand-up I guess it's called a set, a gig, I don't know, uh, for the AST. Really great. Hope you caught it. Otherwise, catch this. This is going to be great too. Right, Clive? I hope so. I can't wait to see what you've got <laughs> in store for me. 
Who can say? Who can predict? Well, well let's do this quickly. This one, uh, we're, I want to get to the Pepe thing, but before we do that, we might as well talk Sack and Zinchenko. They faced each other. Um, we now have more people talking about Bukayo Saka as Lionel Messi, which I think even as a Saka lover, um, I think we want to pump the brakes on the hype a little bit before uh, it gets too big and the pressure we put on this kid is too much kid. I guess he's not really a kid anymore, a young man, should we say to me. He is a kid, given the distance in age, but he is in fact a man and uh, and quite a good man at playing football. What do you think about some of the hype around Sack? And I know you have frustration with England. Southgate keeps picking his mates. Uh, there's a lot of talent there, and maybe you would like to see it deployed differently. Yeah, where should I start? Let me start at Southgate first, <laughs> because uh, <laughs> I know you wanted to do this. So because free swim, buddy. <laughs> there are things that he does. I mean, I'm I can understand. When you're in a job for a long time, we've seen it with our old manager, you end up having people around you that you like. And that's the truth. It just happens over time. Your edge slightly dulls and you like your people, you like your team leaders, your captains. And his captains include four players. Trippier, Kane, Henderson, Maguire. And the last time they didn't play for England or in the squad must have been I don't know, back when I had an afro and back when the French Revolution happened a long time ago. <laughs> They're his boys, right? So, and, you know, the Henderson one is the one that bothers me the most, funny enough. Um, the Maguire mm. one, I, I can understand that up to a point because there's a lack of experience at centre-half. But the reason why there's a lack of experience at centre-half and maybe a lack of experience at centre-forward is he keeps playing those two players in Kane and and Maguire, and he never gives people a chance. So when you go away from friendlies, Kane is out there stat padding, scoring, and gets his record. Everyone said, oh, what's behind Kane? Well, I'll tell you what's behind Kane. Guys that are carrying his wash bag around Europe while he's scoring all the goals. So Tammy Abraham got sick of it. Ivan Tony has had a chance, proper chance yet. Watkins had a go. Uh, Calvert-Lewin had a go, but he couldn't stay fit. And now it seems to be Eddie's chance to carry his wash bag around Europe. right? And, um, and so we're never going to know until we make a decision to sit somebody down. It's the same at centre-back. There are people screaming, saying, Maguire shouldn't be playing. But he's always played. So we're not comfortable with seeing what's behind him. Now, Tomori's not doing that great in um, in Italy at the moment. And Mark Gay's okay. We need to see more of him. There's a guy, you know, Lewis Dunk is okay in the Pacific system at Brian. Very good player statistically. We've got our guy at Arsenal that can play, you know, multiple positions, right back, centre back, mm. flying like the wind. Carl Walker's a very good player, but he's thirty two, right? Can't we can't we do something there? So it's it's a it's an issue for me, particularly around Henderson. There are players out there like Jacob Ramsey, like Gallagher. There are players out there that are deserve a go for somebody that's playing a low level of football in Saudi Arabia. Deserve a go that they come to a point where you have to say we have to turn the page, despite me having my leaders in the team. We have to turn the page, otherwise you're not giving people a fair opportunity. You know, so um, mm-hmm. that's where I stand with it, and that's for the team selection. I mean, crikey, you have, you know, the front three so so um, lack of balance in the front three. So it's, it's a joke. Rather than play the media player of the time, which he always does, how about picking a balanced front three? You know, just do that first. You know. And then go from there, and then you can change from there. And you get to around an hour's time, and they suddenly take off Bellingham, Madison, and Saka. To me, the, th- the three players are more, most likely to score, right? So, because you put yourself in that situation. So, I'm not a fan of him at the moment, Elliot. I don't think he's maximized his resources appropriately. 
I'm okay with Saka coming off. Let me be clear about mm. that. I wish he doesn't. I would rather he didn't play at all. Um, yeah. Selfishly, right? Because I'm not as worried about England being good. I'm more worried about Arsenal being good. How do you feel about over-reliance is, is probably too strong a way of putting it, but I'm going to put it that way because why not? I can't think of a better way to put it. The, mm. the England over-reliance on Saka, the fact that Saka is sort of becoming, I think, a bit of a talismanic figure for the side, especially in attack. And, you know, the, the immense pressure that's on his young shoulders now. Do you think actually that the spotlight on him for England and the pressure on him for England might actually be a good thing for Arsenal in the sense that he's going to have to deliver under pressure in the league and in Europe for Arsenal and that that pressure pales to some degree in comparison to the pressure that your country can put on you. And maybe it maybe it helps him feel more relaxed at Arsenal because he's free, he's clear of the, the England spotlight, you know? Yeah, so the way England play him, they make him like their lead attacker almost. So they keep him the highest and the widest. So Arsenal, we have Martinelli tends to be that guy. And Manchester United, there's a guy playing on the left, who we've just had a look at, by the way, that does well for an hour or so, that seems perfect for the left side role. And he's a he's a left forward. So what it allows Saka to be is almost that in-between player, that in-between player between a forward and a midfielder, attacking midfielder. And that suits him better. That gives me a balance. You've got your centre forward down the middle, you've got your killer forward on the outside who's really a striker playing wide. Then you have your creative forward on the right-hand side. Look, there are people listening here that know, can work that one out. Right? It doesn't take much. You know, that's your balance right there. If you if Kane is your man, then you put people around him that can move. You don't put James Madison as a left-winger, who's he's a really good number 10, by the way, you know, but he's not a left-winger. You know, so you immediately create an imbalance in your team. And it puts a focus on Saka that everyone looks at him and, and the opposition and says, well, he's the guy that's going to hurt us. Let's double up and give him a good kicking. If Rashford is playing, then you lessen the load, the penetrative load of, of your team on Saka. And I think not only do England overplay him, they play him in a way where there's an overburdened attacking responsibility on him. And he nearly did it yesterday, keep the bar, I think, and um, nearly did it. But I'm glad. I hope the little kick on his thigh he got allows him to sit down against Scotland in a friendly and rest up for Everton at the weekend. Hmm. Yeah, that, that would be nice. Um, over on the other side of the pitch was Alexander Zinchenko, and he does play a different role for his country than he plays for his club, although you could argue there's a similar role in terms of where he winds up standing and operating. Um, he, he did score a goal, well taken, nice arrival in the box. I don't, I've never liked the let's use a defender as a midfielder thing, but that's not really what we're talking about with Zinchenko because Zinchenko's a fullback in name only for Arsenal, really, in terms of where he plays when we're in possession. When we're out of possession, sure, he does a bit of fullbacking, but then again, so does Gabriel Martinelli. Um, do you think that there there could be options in terms of how we use Zinchenko, that there could be games where, you know, obviously if Timber was available, that would be big, and maybe this is a next season conversation, but where a Tomiyasu or a Kivior can play in the left back spot in a you know more traditional way or even inverting. And Zinchenko can play one line higher up, you know, between the the sort of midfield and attacking lines as as an eight. I mean, is is there more that we could be doing with Zinchenko to unlock his immense technical ability? At the moment we need him at the base of the team. I think it's settling rice into the team. And I think that that base side of the team allows us to have that centrality in our attacking play. I think Zinchenko is massive for that. And when Jesus comes back, we'll all be we'll be sitting there with a with a fag on, as they say, like watching them two play the ball to each other. So I like him there, but obviously 
not obviously, but obviously Tom Yasu played against Germany this weekend, and there's a there's a two and a half minute comp out there. Just woke a lot of Arsenal people up. that thought he was a, a dying player. <laughs> he suddenly found his legs again and looked absolutely fantastic in that game. And he just goes, to, I know I could go on about it. It just goes to show about patience with people. His fitness issues were different issues and we overplayed him on one of the issues and we may be partly to, to cause for the calf issues that he had and the knee issue was something separate. But he's obviously worked hard over some who's come back really, really fit and Sometimes players force things, Elliot. You know, they force things by their play. And there will be a day when Tommy Asi will play left back. And, and we need that to happen because Zinchenko missed a lot of games last year. I just want to yeah. see more good players force the manager to have rotation options and then for you not to go mad for the first hour between the kickoff <laughs> because you're comfortable with that decision. And I say, I use you as a, you know, air quotes you. You know, it's really we. We're all comfortable with that decision. Yeah around that change because we know what we're going to get. And the more people play and the more people we see them, then you find out what they've got and then you're comfortable with it. You know, and you know, I like Tommy Asu as a left back on occasions. There are days when I want to see that. I don't want to see the ball going in our net. Mm. There are days I want to see build up, primarily at home when people see him. So yeah, I'm sure we're going to see different shapes and that's what it's all about this year, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, well said. I, I will pull you up on one thing though. You sit, sit back with a cigarette. Um, it's actually now sit back with a vape on. Is a vape. you got to get the that time. What you guys do a vape. Okay. A, a vape. Okay. <laughs> you gotta sit back with a vape on. Exactly. Yeah. You, you know, I, we just want to keep this relevant to the kids. Kids, <laughs> don't vape. Don't 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 use any tobacco products. Really, stick with psilocybin. Um, okay, here we go. So let's move on to uh, m- more specifically urgently, not urgently, immediately relevant Arsenal news, which is that Nicola Pepe has departed. Mm. And the reporting initially seemed like there was going to be a fee, but that is not the case. Um, his contract has been terminated. It is a free transfer to to Turkey. Um, Nicola Pepe had, I think, better times at Arsenal than maybe we remember. He did not really fit what Mikel wanted to do. He went out on loan and he didn't impress on loan. And as it turns out, a guy on a pretty big wage did not have any big clubs interested in him. And as a result, you know, a, a securing a fee was not something we were able to do. We'll get into, in a moment, Arsenal and selling and the question of whether we're bad at selling, which is, you know, a phrase that doesn't make a whole lot of sense because you can be bad or something, good or something, depending on the, the circumstances. But I do want to come to that. Um, but just firstly... Pepe's departure, he arrived as our record signing of the, of the moment. Um, I have to admit, I was very excited for him to arrive. And he did give us some some good moments. Finished second in our player of the season voting one season. I think he had a 16-goal season for us. And flattered to deceive, I think, is the, is the phrase that comes to mind. There were times he impressed immensely. Was it a Wolves game he came on and scored that spin-around goal in the box that yep. led the fight back? Um, he had a good game against United that we won a weird time for Pepe to arrive, arriving with Unai Emery, arriving during COVID football, mostly like, I think maybe there's a world where Pepe arrived in a more stable situation and found a way to thrive for us, but that didn't happen. I, I don't know. I I find the player impossible to understand because I feel that there is immense talent in there, but it doesn't show itself consistently enough to to really know who he is as a player. What do you think of him as a player in his time at Arsenal? When you said then to know who he really is as a player, that's a that's an interesting point because none of us really know who he is. And mm-hmm. when you spend that type of money, 
I think it's important that we, everyone feels they know the person. So you're not just buying the player, you're buying the person as well. And I think we've learned during the Declan Rice um, transfer saga, there was a lot of mentions that Arsenal were taking their time. There's also a lot of mentions of Arsenal's rigorous process before they go and buy a player. And I secretly, even though I wanted the Rice deal done, <laughs> I was barely sleeping. Mm-hmm. I, I secretly was really pleased with that. Because there needs to be a robustness when you're investing that amount of money. And I don't want to talk too much about the original deal, but the original deal doesn't smell good to me. Mm-hmm. You know, and and I think there wasn't enough robust process around that deal. And there was too many differing actors in the room wanting different things. And what we see today is a level of alignment between player selection, how it fits the group, the support from the exec all the way down. They'll spend the money if, if everybody feels it's the right thing to do. And you get that feeling now, don't you, from a, that we wouldn't do this thing again. And I think maybe the robust processes were not in place when we made that sign-in. And so buying is linked to selling. When you buy bad, you sell bad. And, and that's the truth. When you overpay, and then you have... I remember Mikhail said something the other day about when we have a problem in our squad, the first thing we do is look in our academy. So Durian Timber went down. The very next academy game, Mikel's in the in the crowd. Now, maybe before Arsenal spent £72 million, and I don't know how many tens of million pounds on wages, they looked in their academy to see what's in there. Because there's a little kid in there called Bakaya Saka sitting around. Within two months, he's running around the pitch looking better than our £72 million signing. Look in your academy first. See if you have something that's close, that allows you some thinking time before you make that level of investment. If you do have something in your academy that's got a similar profile, although at the time we didn't know he was a left winger, sorry, a right right winger of a left foot. He was more of a left sider at the time. But if there is something in there that you can work with, then work with them. Now it gives you time, or maybe buy something else, maybe a righty coming from the left or who can play centre forward, something like that. You just change your profile of what you want to buy. And so I think the buy of this player was a bad one. There were lots of debates at the time about what we do. Do you buy someone in the league? It was overpriced. The payment structure wasn't good in, in Zahar. But looking back, we'd have got more value from Zahar over the last three years than we did get over Pepe. If you like Zahar or not, it's just a value proposition. Right? And um, so, yeah, we made the mistake, but I don't think we're doing it again. You know? Well, I say that. <laughs> I don't think we do it that way again because you can never guarantee a player's assimilation to a group, but we won't do it that way again. And I think that's really important to say. Yeah, so it it leads to the conversation that I think is a very interlow conversation, I'll admit. I don't know mm. that there's a pressing need for us to determine whether Arsenal are bad at selling or not. But let, let's back up and say this. It was reported towards the end of the window that if we wanted to move for additional players, we needed to clear players out and we needed to recoup fees. And when you actually look at our net spend this summer, it's not massive compared to some of the other big clubs around us and some of the clubs in the Premier League generally. And actually, it looks like Arsenal operated within a band of spending that was authorized. That my sort of heady days of June and July when I'm like, maybe we just spend whatever it takes now and money doesn't matter to us anymore. Well, guess what? That was a fantasy. That's not the case. There is some restriction quite clearly and the reporting seems pretty clear that we had to sell to buy towards the end of the window which means that we do maybe have to keep an eye on value, whether we're overpaying for the players we buy. 
and also whether we are recouping enough value for the players we sell. So let's open the conversation with just the the general question. Do you feel that Arsenal, over the past few seasons, and including this summer, have demonstrated not being as if we've been great at buying talent. It's clear. Look at our squad. Have we demonstrated that we are maybe not as efficient or effective at selling as we could be? If so, why? If not, why not? Yeah, so as I alluded to, if you buy well, you sell well. And these and mm-hmm. Pepe and Cedric are, I, I will use the word legacy players, shall we say, that weren't, you know, maybe well sourced or were sourced for a different time. So we're in a different time now. So the squad that we know and love, we, we want to sell those players. We've got a market for them. I guarantee you that. You know, there's a market out there for our, for our both our goalkeepers, shall we say. <laughs> there's a market out there for all our defenders. Because we bought well recently. You know, and um, we've only plugged and played a little bit with Jorginho, you know, and uh, and maybe a little bit of Trussard. But Trussard looks like value to me, you know, and um, and he can go again easy and coming in Tyria in another league, you know, a couple of years' time or a year or so's time. There's value in the squad because we bought well. We bought to a system, we're more successful, and that's how you make yourselves. And if you want to go back four or five years, you can see that there have been decisions. And remember one of the words I used to use earlier? I used to say we needed to fail faster. Should we have mm-hmm. failed faster? Yep. Yeah, should we have failed faster with a couple of these? And say, you know what, it's not working. Let's just do something. And you take some money in. I think Chelsea are quite good at that, by the way. When when they don't see something that they is not quite right, they're not afraid to just say it's over and take a and take a number. You know what I mean? And uh, sometimes what we do is we let it play out a little bit, and we to go on loan, and then we, you know, we're at the mercy of the loan club. Then the loan club can destroy the value even more, you know. And then we come back, and we have made those mistakes. We we definitely have. But uh, these conversations, I I always I'm always wary of them, although I enjoy them because there is no. There is no right because we don't know everything. I mean, we really, we can only join the dots a little bit. We don't know everything. When it comes to potentially buying one more player, which potentially most of us would have liked, it might have been um, reliant or dependent upon Kieran Tierney being sold for a number this year. Now, in May, we're all thinking he's going to Newcastle. And two, three months later, um, Newcastle spending that money and more on an 18-year-old kid. Just barely mm. played a game from Chelsea in Lewis Hall, and Kieran's gone out to Real Sociedad on loan. That's money that we thought we were getting that we didn't get, and that's probably stopped us doing something else in the market. And rather than panic, we've done nothing. And I'm all for that. I am all for that. No more dead weights hanging around, costing us money. Mistakes will happen in life anyway, but don't panic in yourself into one on a short term basis. It's just mm-hmm. not worth it. You, the, use your resources, find them. They will step up if you if you bought quickly in the first place. And then it's also about the contracts you give out. I mean, mm-hmm. it's the second contract for Ozil that destroyed that value. It was the second contract for Aubameyang that destroyed that value, right? It's those contracts where you go up in wages to a later period in their career or when you're still not sure. There was a summer where both Alexis and Ozil, we had, we had offers to buy them for $50 million each. We could have had $100 million and lost Alexis and Ozil. We were scared to do that, so we didn't. We turned that into paying Ozil to leave and swapping Alexis for Mkhitaryan. You know, those decisions matter. We turned a summer when we could have gotten $50 million for Aubameyang into paying him to leave. 
You know, and so it's not being bad at selling necessarily. It's making your assets less sellable through your actions or your hesitation. We were willing to move Willick when Willick's value was highest and we got a good fee. We were willing to move Awobi when Awobi's value was highest and we got a good fee. The problem with this is, and here's the rub, you want to be good at selling? You've got to be willing to sell before you're ready. Yeah. The player you're desperate to get rid of is never worth as much as the player you think you might still want. You know why? Because if you think you might still want him, there's a reason. You think he has value, and other clubs will too. If you don't want the player, how can you complain that other clubs don't want the player either? Yeah. If we're saying Rob Holding should never play for Arsenal again, how are we possibly astonished that no other big club wants to give us 30 million pounds for him. You know, it, it is the fact that two seasons ago, we could have sold Rob Holding for a good fee. We didn't because we thought maybe there's still something there. When you think maybe there's still something there, that's the time you have to make a decision. We made the decision with Willick. We cashed in. We made the decision with Wobie. We cashed in. And even today, there are people that are like, well, Willick might be a value to us or, you know, we could use a Wobie. Maybe, but we've gotten better. Sometimes selling makes you better. The irony is, look at all the players we were nervous about losing during the Arsene Wenger era. Oh, we can't lose Samer Nasri. Oh, we can't lose Adebayor. Oh, you know, we can't afford to lose Alex Kleb. We can't lose Alex Song. They all went on to be pretty mediocre. And we really didn't miss them. Even Robin Van Persie. Yeah, he went on to win title. True. We One season before he collapsed, we sold him the irony. If we'd held him one season longer, we probably don't get anything out of him. But we scored more goals the next season than we did the season we had Van Persie. So I think the thing with selling is not being afraid to move on from players that aren't finding way. And I'll give you a great example. Raise your hand if you wanted Emil Smith-Rowe sold this summer. Not many of you are raising your hands, huh? Don't want to hear complaints if he goes for 3 million pounds. You know what I mean? Clive, when there's a market, you have to decide to cash in. And if you don't decide to cash in, that's okay. You might win. You might stick with players like Nelson and Enkedia and Smith-Rowe, and they might come good. But if we wind up getting, for Nelson, Smith-Rowe, and Enkedia, a combined three million pounds in a couple of seasons, I don't want to hear complaints because the window to sell them was previously. That window's probably closed now unless they go on to break through for us. So is that it? Is it that you got to kill your darlings, as we've said so often, right, that the, the key to being good at selling is being ready to cash in maybe slightly ahead of when the fans and all of us and, and even the club itself might feel ready to move on. You know, that's when there's yeah. value. Yeah, you're correct. You, you are correct with that statement. But I, I do think we have to lose the historic way we look at the market. I think so. you can only use the, you can only bring up the names based on experience. So they're the, they're the historic names. So, mm -hmm. But I, the market's changed. Massive. You, maybe just look at what Newcastle are doing. Newcastle are investing a lot in youth players. You know, I'm talking from under 14s yep. upwards. If you look at various accounts, and I know people, I know someone's actually gone up there actually from Luton, and they are taking the best players from other academies and setting them in into their environment and really investing, mm -hmm. and they're building from the ground up. And they're really taking England youth internationals. They're taking them from other clubs, right? And they're setting up their system. They're investing in two young fullbacks in Livermento and Lewis Hall. And this is where the market is. People are being smart because they don't want the Pepe thing to happen to them. You know, Liverpool are about to luck out again with Mo Salah. They're about to have the second lottery win. He's going to go at some point. 
they're going to get a lot of money for him, and they're going to buy a premier centre forward for their team, and and they're going to rebuild on the back of a sale that was was not there a year ago. He just wasn't there, and sometimes things happen like that if you're lucky enough. But I do think the market has changed. People are wiser, smarter, investing in younger players. Contracts are going to younger players that have a real shelf life. And I don't see people really massively spending on 27, 28-year-olds anymore. And we bought a bang, was he 28 and we got him in? You know? Mm. And none of us moaned. I wasn't against a second contract. And two years on, I'm, I'm full of like, oh, full of wisdom. Oh, we should have done that. We should have done this. Maybe we shouldn't have bought him in the first place. We certainly should have bought him in Lacazette within six months of each other. Now, that investment, with along with Pepe, was a weight around our ankles. You know, and we had to stay with them and play with them because of their wages and because of their financial cost. When you have that spend, you have to play through. You know, and we put ourselves in a situation there where it was not Champions League successful. You know, so... The market's changing, but we are right there. You know, we are right there. Scott sent something out today. I don't know if anyone's seen it. It was like a a PKH graph. You seen it? And it like a it's like a graph of where we are against PKH. And our squad is not only sitting there, one of the highest value squads in the world, but we've got two, three years ahead of us of watching this team before they've reached their peak in most positions. And so that means we have done it right. For the first time, and during that three-year three-year process, there may be a moment that comes up when the market says, "I want one of your darlings," and it's going to be so interesting in what mm. we do. Now, right now, we should already be succession planning, and it sounds terrible to say that when we're in our first little 13, 14, 15, maybe I don't see any of them go, but we should be succession planning because that's what successful organisations do. Because if opportunity presents itself, you can rebound very, very quickly. I don't think yeah. we were set up that way in the past, mate. And I think it shows, and that's why we can't sell so well now. Yeah, I mean, I, I think if you look around too, part of selling is what the buying market looks like, right? Um, if you look at the big sales this summer, the players that move for reasonable fees from any of the big clubs, from United, from City, from Chelsea, from Arsenal, by and large, not at Arsenal so much, but the other ones, it was big clubs buying, right? Chelsea secured good fees from United, from Arsenal, mm. right? That That's easier to do. If you look at the big moves out, like if you look at Chelsea, where did they get their big fees from? They got their big fees from Arsenal, United, and City for Havertz, Mountain, Kovacic. And their other big fees came from Saudi Arabia and me, medium reasonable fees from AC Milan. But they still had to get rid of uh, Caesar Aspilicueta for free, Conte for free, Lukaku for a loan. Ruben Loftus Cheek didn't secure that much. Um, let's see, there was uh, Kepa. They got nothing for that, right? Fafana, Angelo, Ziyech, Abdul Rahman, Bakayoko. You know, the players they didn't want, nobody wanted either. They can't get fees for those players, right? What if we look at, you know, Manchester City? Manchester City, you know, a loan for Cancelo. You know, a Gundogan, a free transfer. They they got fees from Chelsea for Cole Palmer and Saudi Arabia for Mares and Laporte. You know, and you can go through all of these clubs. All of these clubs. I mean, either Saudi Arabia came in or they're going for free. Nabi Keita 
free from Liverpool, Ox free from Liverpool, Milner free from Liverpool, right? They got a fee for Fabinho from Saudi Arabia, for Jordan Henderson from Saudi Arabia. So, it, you know, it, it is the case, I think, right now that if you say, you know, why can't we get more money for this player or that player, as reductive as it sounds, Clive, it's did Saudi Arabia come in or did another big club in the Premier League come in? Because if they didn't, you didn't get a big fee. Now, I think there is another criticism that's leveled at us that maybe there's something to be said for this. I have to admit, it, it doesn't strike me as being reasonable, but I want to raise it because I, I could be wrong. My, my view may not be the right view. What about people who say, well, you know what, though? We show our hand to the market too cleanly. We make these players train alone. They don't make match day squads. We don't even try to use them for five or 10 minutes to sort of convince other clubs that maybe we might use them. Maybe we might be willing to, to keep them. We make it so clear that they're out. We put them on the outside. We make it so clear we need to be shot of them that we we weaken our negotiating position. Do you think that there's truth to the fact that we may be too transparent and how we deal with the players that are on the outside looking in such that we don't really make a market. You know, no, nobody wants your junk, and if you prove it's junk, does, you know, does that lead to challenges trying to sell? I'm a big believer in how you walk into the room is really important. And where we were, we were, we were buying to manage, remember we used to use that word status anxiety? We, used to, we were trying to manage our mm -hmm. status, trying to maintain it. When we bought the Lichsteiners, et cetera, we were trying to maintain something to try to do a shortcut to the to top table. I'm just, just funny enough, a tweet just come out actually with our free transfers since 2020. <laughs> Literally just landed. Mikatarian, Socrates, Ozil, Mustafi, Willian, Kalashnik, Abamyang, Bellerin, and Pepe. Now, we could question some of those when they walked through the door. Mkhitaryan came on the back of Sanchez, right? We should have sold Sanchez sooner. Socrates, just a step a step player to give us some experience at a time at the back. Ozil, maybe the second contract was a, was a moment there. You know, um, Mustafi, should we have bought him? <laughs> there are other players at better value mm. at the time. Klasnik, free transfer, so take you, you, you'd make your choice. Aubameyang, second contract issue. Maybe we should have done something. Again, I hold my hands up. I wasn't one of them saying we should he should not he should go on the free at the time earlier without the wages, shall we say? Bellerin, unfortunate, mm -hmm. a player that was struck down by injury and we didn't quite come back. And and Nicola Pepe, which we've spoken about. Big players, different times. We sometimes you just gotta clean. You just gotta clean. You gotta take your medicine and make sure you don't go back to those dark moments. You know, and make sure you have a strategy to sell. I think our strategy to sell now, we can look at it with different eyes. I think we've bought a lot better. And that's, that's where I am with it, Elliot, to be honest, mate. Not, not, my, not much more than that. Yeah, that's fair. Look, I, first of all, let's be clear. This is, like I said, it's a very interlaw conversation. There's not existential mm. stuff right now. We built a very good squad that we think will compete for a title and is back in the Champions League. The goal of managing assets isn't just to win the Managing Assets Award. The goal of managing assets is to invest in a winning team and have a winning team longer term. As you've already pointed out, Clive, we have one of the youngest squads in the league and it is one of the most talented. And according to Transfermarkt, it's, I think, maybe the most valuable squad in the world right now or second most, something like that. Yep. Yep. So pretty hard to argue we haven't done well. I think if you're arguing we haven't done well, you are looking for reasons to be upset. Having said that, 
this is a discussion podcast and there's nothing wrong with discussing if there are areas we can improve. My one comment about the question of whether we tip our hand too much, <clears throat> you know, with the make them train alone thing and not including well, it's the It's already too late if they're training alone though, isn't it? It's already too late. Well, that that, that's my point. Yeah, I, I think there are things that we as fans think are important that are less important in the real world. And, and I don't mean that condescendingly, but like agents talk, clubs talk. Think of how much we know as fans. We know players that want out. We know players that want to move. We know shit that's going on. Now imagine what the agents tell each other, what the what the players tell each other, friends when they go off on international duty tell each other. I don't think we we're going to fool anyone into thinking Pepe was in our plans. If Pepe had trained with the squad and made a match day, you know, made a match day squad, was that going to get us five million pounds for him? I, I, I think it's somewhat naive because the, the other thing it presumes is that's actually the reason no one's paying us because like, well, Arsenal thinks he's junk. No, the reason no one's paying us is he's making a fortune in wages and he just had a bad loan spell in League One. He's had a few seasons of not doing it. So, you know, I, I, it's one of these things where it's like, could the training alone thing make a one half of a percent difference in our ability to sell? Yeah, I, I fully acknowledge it. It could at the margins make a difference, but I think it's so marginal that to focus on it ignores what are the larger issues. And ultimately, I think the larger issues are how much is the player making? What's the age of the player? Who is the buying club interested? Because I guarantee you this, if Chelsea wanted Pepe, we would have gotten a fee. It's that simple. You know, but but they didn't um, because, think, you know, they're, they're, they're only buying all the young players that exist <laughs> in the universe. Yeah, please go ahead. I think um, we sent two players to France last year on loan, I believe. And one had a successful loan and one didn't in a league that he shone in previously. The one that out of nowhere has barely played 10 games for us, we just sold for 35, 40 million. And the other one sat around in his hands metaphorically and blew his value. And so that's that's it. You know, the wages would have been, also would have come to an agreement with somebody. Um, and I'm no doubt to pay part of his wages now. You know, so um, so yeah, it's just sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. It, it started off when he walked through the door. He was not for me that when he walked through the door, all the people that brought him in the club were disappeared within six months. <laughs> you know, so um, he was already on a loser. You know, imagine being imagine starting a new job and all the people that hired you in your interview, they're all gone <laughs> after a little short period yeah. of time, and you have no one that cares about how you arrived. You know, and I think that's really important. Uh, and um, and you don't, then you have to build trust. And you're in a, a foreign country, not your first language. And it's hard. And this comes back to, back to your processes again. Making sure you have consistent player welfare, consistent approach to somebody, showing them a project. You know what you're doing. You, you make sure they fit the group. I think we're much better at that now. And it started maybe a couple of years ago, and we can all see it. But looking back now, we're all shaking our heads metaphorically, aren't we? That it was a bad buy in the first place. Yeah. And like it, it is a fine line between making excuses for the club and trying to really seriously analyze the situation. I think if you want to be critical of the club related to sales, and again, I think it's a little nitpicky given that the goal isn't to be good at selling, the goal is to build a good squad, and we have. But I accept that had we been better at sales, Maybe we're able to get another player in this summer, and that could have made us better this season. So I, I get this matters. Um, but I think then the original sin is the contracts you give out. 
And you really have to hope players... Like, if Arsenal didn't want Kai Havertz, if a big club didn't want Kai Havertz, Chelsea probably aren't getting a big fee for him. But you also look at the players getting big fees. They're starters at these clubs. Havertz started for Chelsea. Kovacic started for Chelsea, right? You look at the... Mason Mount was their golden boy. Um, every I, I know we sit here and we go, but how did that club get this money for that? You know what? Chelsea fans are sat here right now going, how did Arsenal get $9 million for Matt Turner and we can't even get a million for Kepa? Kepa's on hundred and fifty grand a week and Turner was on forty. That's how we can get $8 million for him. We did pretty well with what we got for Granit Xhaka. I think we did pretty well with what we got for Fuller and Balogun. But I promise you this, if it was Chelsea that had gone for him, it would have been more. As it turns out, it's Monaco, and he's like their third or fourth highest transfer fee ever paid. So, you know, I, I think when when we look down the road, let's just be clear. If we're having a conversation in two seasons, why did Nelson only go for a million pounds? Why did Smith Rowe only go for three million? Three million for Smith Rowe? Why did Eddie and Kedia were only getting six million? For, if we're having those conversations, let's just remember it's two things. It's not training alone. or the, It's very simple. We gave them second contracts. We didn't sell when their value was peak. We decided to hold on. And if they come good, great, Eddie seems to be. But if they don't and we want to move them, we will probably have been past the window to do so at a big fee. If we had wanted to sell Emil Smith-Rowe two summers ago, we would have gotten 40 million pounds for him. It would have been extremely painful to do it. Now we look at it and we say, does his role warrant keeping him? Well, by the time his role doesn't warrant keeping him, <laughs> you know, you're not you're not exactly in the best position to sell. So, like I said, it's not making excuses. We do need to be thoughtful about this stuff because selling better means buying more. In the main, we've built a hell of a valuable squad that's playing good football and looks like it could compete at the top level. But we do want to be sharp on this stuff in every way possible. And when a 72 million pound player goes for free, of course, it's going to put a spotlight on selling. But I think in this case, um, it's the original sin is the, the buying of the player in the first place sure. um, at that fee and on those wages. So let's do this. Let's let's talk about something that I think is on everybody's mind right now. Really, it's on everybody's mind all the time, but that's brands. We wake up in the morning and we think, what are some brands I should care about? I know I do. I'm sure you do as well. And here's the really good thing. We actually have the ability to give you that information. So the first brand we're going to tell you about is AG1. Remember, the website is drinkag1.com slash vision. That's drinkag1.com slash vision. Starting to see uh, AG1 everywhere. And I you know, I, I think it's great that they are blowing up, glowing up, growing up, because uh, this is what I think nutritional supplements should be. They should be derived in the right way. They should deliver the right benefits. They should be lifestyle-friendly, keto, vegan, paleo, sh uh, low sugar, right? Um, it can replace those gummy vitamins that are all sugar. It is adaptogens and probiotics. I started taking it for gut health. That was the key. I have gut health issues. Uh, reflux is a concern for me. You know, stuff, not to get too personal about this, and not that you want to know this stuff, but that's why I started taking it. And it's been a huge benefit for me. Um, you know, I, I know there are people that use it uh, more as a uh, recovery and um, performance supplement for, for their workouts because it was designed by athletes. But I think even just as a great multivitamin, it's, it's perfect for that um, energy, recovery, sleep, and gut health, all, all the good things. So if a comprehensive solution is what you need from your supplement routine, then try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs. Those come in handy with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash vision. That's drinkag1.com slash vision. Check it out. Now, the, the body is healthy. The mind should be healthy too. And I think it is this simple. Um, mental health is health. 
therapy is wellness. And BetterHelp, uh, this podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. BetterHelp is therapy. It's therapy that takes place online, but it's therapy. So there are so many reasons that you might want to use BetterHelp. You might want to use BetterHelp because you don't have the time to get in the car and drive somewhere. There may not be therapy available easily in your area or a specialist easily available uh, in your area. And I, I think BetterHelp you know, is a way to, in the comfort of your own home, get access to the support you need with mental health. And, you know, mental health isn't just crisis management, it's day-to-day -day management. It's just about talking through the things that may be holding you back, maybe holding you back from performing at your absolute best, you know, in the same way that, um, you know, we think about our workouts or we think about our, our nutrition as a part of being a, a more fully high-performance person, I think therapy can get you there. As someone who did therapy and I think it's among the best decisions I ever made. I can't recommend this highly enough. So get a break from your thoughts with BetterHelp. Uh, visit betterhelp.com slash vision today to get 10% off your first month. That's better, H-E-L-P, betterhelp.com slash vision. And last, but certainly not least, if your mind is well and your body is well, then your business needs to be well. And the best way to have a well business is to have the best talent. And the best way to have the best talent is to use the hiring partner where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. And that is Indeed. Indeed is the best. It's that simple. Look, time is money. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites searching for candidates with the right skills, Indeed is a powerful hiring partner that lets you do it all. I love the fact that with Indeed, you can go to one place, say, this is what I need. You can invite people to apply to it, <clears throat> and you can get the results you want. Okay? With Instant Match, over 80% of employers get quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match their job description the moment they sponsor a job, according to Indeed data in the U.S. Indeed delivers four times more hires than all other job sites combined. That's based on Talent Nest 2019 data. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash Blue Wire Sports. Offer good for a limited time. Claim your $75 credit now at Indeed.com slash Blue Wire Sports. Just go to Indeed.com slash Blue Wire Sports. And support the show by saying you heard about it on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Blue Wire Sports. Terms and conditions apply. You need to hire... You did indeed, Clive. Is that enough of that? Indeed. Now, okay. Just your normal ad read, just your normal, regular ad read that everybody's used to from listening to podcasts. We bang on, Clive. Um, oh, let's just touch on this quickly. Germany. Germany didn't look so good against Japan, did they, in their 4 1 loss? Takahiro Tomiyasu started at center back. So good for, for Tommy. Getting the play in time at center back, position where we may need him at some point this season. Looking pretty good. Germany did not look pretty good. Clive, I feel like everything right now is just fuel to the fire of people that want to put Kai Havertz under the microscope. I think he started up front for Germany in a game that was not good. Uh, his SOFA score rating making the rounds on social media, and everybody knows if the SOFA score rating wasn't good, then that is a definitive statement on how the player performed. Not good from Germany. Um feels like a player who needs something to go for him in a big way so that we can just get this this sort of you know get get this weight off his shoulders um but unfortunately that was not the case against Japan thoughts on uh on where that stands at the moment because it it feels like not great frankly <laughs> yeah I saw a 10 minute highlight package so I don't want to go too heavy on it um I will try I'm trying to find a bigger highlight package shall we say um 
Because in the white trying saw, to find a bigger package. <laughs> why so highlight package? Why so didn't Just look be happy great. with what you've got from the highlights. <laughs> you know, you, it it's not about the size of the highlight package. It's about what you know. Yeah, what right. you extract from it, essentially. <laughs> so yeah, I, I didn't. I don't know why I feel the need to continue with this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't. Um, he wasn't. He didn't look great in what I saw, and I find myself. <laughs> I went to Man United game, and I, I I came out of the game thinking about goalkeepers, and I come out of the Germany game thinking about this break, thinking about Kai Havertz, and mm. I, I'm I'm concerned. I'm concerned because I know people are really trying to be patient. Some people, some people just black and white. That's how they are. You know, good game, great, bad game, terrible. That That's that's fine. Um, but I do think, I, I worry about this one because I do think it's a big investment for us. You know, it's a big, not just investment numbers-wise, but it's a real, really important position. It's a really important tool to our squad. He has unique physical capabilities, the way he looks, the way he plays. Football-wise, it's very, just potentially is exciting. At the moment, I'm looking at the floor rather than the ceiling, you know, and um, and I want him to have the moment so we can all see that player. And it just happens out of nowhere. And we have two examples already this season in Fabio Vieira and potentially Tomiyasu. Tomiyasu's showing people in that same game what he can do and suddenly now he's a, he's a live body Vieira again a live a live body sorry there a live body no and um, and basically that happens in just one game and suddenly they feel supported suddenly it can happen I really think he needs a game but in, for me I just I find out I watched the clips of Charity Shield today to remind, to remind myself what I've seen. And even watching the Charity Shield compared to that Germany game last night, there's been a drop-off. You know, there's been a drop. I can see it in his movement. It's only a 10-minute highlight. I just He needs to run free, and he needs to feel support. You can see that. And so we've almost, as a group of fans, we've almost got to go over the top with our support for him. Because I think within that, within him, he, there is a lot... I've watched a lot of old clips on him, a lot of games, and this is an outstanding talent, an outstanding talent. Some of his ingenuity and creativity is trapped in safety, and we need him to feel comfortable that he can make a mistake. And that sounds crazy because we saw a mistake at the game last week, but we need to make him feel comfortable that making mistakes is okay because the more things he tries, the more things we'll see, and that's that's when we'll lift that position. If a player doesn't feel comfortable, you can make a mistake. You're only going to get six out of ten. You know, so that's the only role that we can play. But I'm I'm concerned because I want it to work so badly because I do think the ceiling of this team is in that position. I really feel that. And for me, mm. he's the he's the guy we seem to invest in in that position. We know that we can see Declan Rice play there, and we we've seen it against City, and it works. But we also need Havertz to work in that position. And we also need to see him potentially in centre forward on occasions in the same game. We need this to work because the game, the way it's structured at the moment, the way teams are playing blocks, we need this guy to potentially circumnavigate that situation that we're being presented with. But whether you like him or not, this is a tool that we didn't have last year and we need it. We need it to work because teams are 
evolving in their defensive strategies to stop teams like Arsenal in their box midfields, etc. So they are. We need this guy, and, I, and I'm worried, Elliot, that he's potentially losing confidence by the day. Yeah, I mean, I I don't want to read too much into it, uh, you know, because I feel like, first of all international friendlies are are weird. You know, he he comes from playing this sort of left eight role for Arsenal and then goes up top for a, a dysfunctional Germany. And dysfunction, I think, tends to be more of a team issue than an individual issue. I, I do agree with your point, though, that, like, just needs something to go for him, you know, at the moment. He, he just, like, he missed kicks that one against United, obviously. He has the giveaway for their goal, which I think there were multiple reasons for that and multiple participants in that happening, but you know, it looks like it's on him. And then, you know, there's the penalty and it should be a moment of, you know, a little tiny moment of redemption is too strong a word, but you know, support for him and it, it gets overturned. It just, it all feels like it's just a boulder rolling, rolling downhill moment. It's interesting. Achilles healed on, uh, on discord actually messaged me about a player, Trey Turner. Um, Trey Turner was a guy who was in a really, really, really bad situation with the Philadelphia Phillies in Major League Baseball, just Mm -hmm. not doing well, essentially. And Philadelphia is renowned for having fans that will boo. They are not afraid to boo. One of the most famous things is they booed Santa Claus, okay, and threw snowballs at Santa Claus. (laughs) Um, They are a tough crowd. But he he was really struggling. He was a huge signing. It went south basically immediately, wasn't performing. But the Philly fans chose to get behind him and cheer him like mad. Okay? Yeah. And he responded with basically the best month of his career. Um, you know, he's, since August 4th, he's been on a tear, an absolute tear. And that's sort of the moment that the fans it, chose to embrace him and get behind him. By and large, it's a player's job to perform. It's not the fan's job to perform for the player. But I thought that was an interesting story that he shared with me about a player who was a big signing, who was slumping, it wasn't working. The fans decided to give him unanimous support. And with just that little bit of confidence and a little bit of knowledge that they were behind him, able to play with a lightness, right? Able to play with without that the weight of the price tag, the weight of the expectations on him, and now he's he's ripping it up. Now, will he continue to rip it up? Will he go back to slumping? Players tend to be what they are, by and large, I think. But I do think this is a player who's going to... I mean, Mikel said it. He needs the love. Now, you could say that's a problem. You know, a player being so mentally fragile that they need the fans' love, you know, or they're going to be bad at football. Like, okay, I get it. That's a little bit cynical view. But the fact is the manager has said it. And I think this may be a case where there's such a spotlight on him and it is right on that teetering point. Like, we, 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 we rewatched the United game. In the main, I thought he was fine. In fact, having rewatched the Fulham game and the United game, I thought he was much better against United than Fulham. Yep. I thought he played pretty well. The big moments didn't go for him. And it does feel maybe like it's on that teetering place where people are looking to, at him quite a bit more intently than others. Clive, he, he, needs, he needs to just let the football come to him, let his game come yep. to him. And it, the game is in there. I don't think any of us doubt it. So, you know, it, it is, we've got some big games on the horizon. Maybe Everton away is the moment for him, but he, he needs to, he needs to feel, I think, supported so that we can get him through this moment, hopefully to a moment where he, where he thrives, you know? Yeah. I think, um, this position, we, I think we might say that I'm on the rewatch of the edit, so I'm, I may be repeating myself, but I do think 
the left eight position is one that brings debate in fans anyway. You, you started the podcast by mentioning Zinchenko, right? So Trossard can play there, Smith Rowe can play there, Shaka played there last year. It's a low touch position that's maybe a box crashing position. But you know what? Maybe, maybe, maybe someone else listening to this has a different view of that position. Declan Rice is best for that position. So when you get a situation where a position in your team is hard to define, and then you put a player in that position who's equally hard to define, what is his best role? What is his best position? You put the two together into a melting pot. What do you have? You have exactly what we have right now. Unless he scores a goal or has an assist, because that clarifies everything. We're not looking at the, the kilometers. We're not looking at the jewels. We've decided that the player that was there last year was a midfielder, a six, basically, that made it work up to a point. And we've decided we've, we've, we've brought in a, an attacker, more attacking, and so we're judging based on attacking output. Very simplistic, maybe generalizing, but I'm doing it for a reason. So basically, if your attacking output's down, and by the way, the demeanor, the body language is a little bit lower in urgency compared to the guy that wasn't there and compared to the guy that's coming on late in games, suddenly you have a recipe for what we're seeing online. I will say, in the stadium on Sunday, people were really trying. There was a moment in the Fulham game when, with the, the set, the back pass, that was a moment of a little bit of frustration due to the way the game was going. And obviously in the in the United game, there was a couple of moments there, but I swear people were biting their tongue. You know, around me they were anyway. You know, they would listen to the manager and they really tried to not be outwardly frustrated. People just need to continue to do that because the moment E6 won in top corner, <laughs> we can all say we were there behind him from the start. Right, and um, <laughs> and, I'm, and I hope I hope that happens. I really do, and I've seen it happen. I've seen it happen at Wembley for Germany. Stuck it top corner. It's in there. You can't unsee some of this thing. It's just it's just lost at the moment, but it can come back very very quickly. Yeah, <clears throat> I look. You know me. Usually, like the soft factor thing. I'm like, nah, it's not real. Do me a favor. Just look up Trey Turner. Go to the news. Look up Trey Turner. He's on an absolute tear, and it started literally the night the Phillies fans decided to give him a standing ovation every single time he came up to bat. Now, maybe it's just coincidence. Some people will write it off that way. I don't think so. Remember when we conceded a goal last season, Saliba error, and everybody cheered, and we still talk about it. The Emirates erupted in applause and support. Everybody seemed to agree that the Emirates' support was an important part of our success last season, and Mikel did as well. If we can do it for the team, it can be done for a player. And look, I, I am not a softie. It is not the job of the fans to make a player good at football. It is the job of the player. But in some instances, if the fans can make that difference, why wouldn't you want to? Why wouldn't you want to? And by the way, criticize him on Twitter. Criticize him on a podcast. Criticize him on a blog if you want. At the Emirates, if we can lift him and make him feel a lightness and a support, and that helps, maybe that's what it's about. Because to me, Clive, when I watch him play, he's in the right spots. He's doing some of the right things. The big moments haven't gone for him. If that flips and it unlocks something, that could work. Now, look, it's a fine line. It's a fine line between sticking with something that's not working and sticking with someone until it works. And what I mean by that is you could argue that actually the right thing to do is play Vieira and let Kai rest for a bit, you know, take the pressure off and play Smith Rowe. You shouldn't play a player who doesn't deserve the position. I acknowledge that, but he's played for us for four freaking games. Yeah. So Mikel thought this was the right guy for the position. I think we have to back Mikel's instincts there and just lift this player. And, you know, maybe it is the case that we lift him by saying, you know what, play in the Champions League a bit. You got good experience there. 
different kind of competition. And we bring in a Vieira or Smith Rowe in the Premier League. But you know what? Everton's a big side. Kai's a big guy. Maybe we maybe we give him that game because after that, it's the North London Derby. And what I can promise you is people are going to be less forgiving about you know performances in a Derby. If you win it, you're a hero. But otherwise, it's a bit different. So. Agreed. You know, I just I just hope that there can be some lightness there and he can find find his form, you know? Yeah, agreed. I think I, I would play him at Everton as well. And um mm-hmm. see how he goes. And I think I think he did quite well at Palace, by the way. You know, he did well at Wembley. So maybe you know, let's let's give him a chance. Let's give him a chance. Vieira did well in Europe, didn't he, for a year? And then didn't really do much at home. Yeah. You know, suddenly he's looking good at home and it is funny. Vieira's had what like 50 minutes this season and people are like he needs to start after being the 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 guy everybody didn't want playing just just a season ago you know yeah, well the th- and the reason why and this is the thing we are we're just people we're just humans when you see Vieira at the moment he looks confident and that's and he looks he plays a level of urgency now the situations that he's been brought on have required that you know, so great point. And he's produced it. Now, if he starts, it, it requires something else. We have again, we have some ball dominant personalities in our midfield. The third guy at the moment, there's a podcast to be had about that position. I keep saying it. The third guy in that midfield in that position is a less dominant role. It's an off the ball role. It's a different role. You know, based on what, based on a year of looking at it. You know, and um, let's see. Let's see how it develops. It's not developed yet. The whole picture is not there yet. We know what Odegaard does. We know what Rice can do. We know what, we know what party can do, blah, blah, blah. We, we've seen them. We've got enough. They're big, dominant personalities. That player took a 100-touch Granite Shaka role into a 40-touch role. To be, and he was effective still, having you know, half the touches, mm. more or less, on average. It's a different position, and we have to open our eyes to what it requires. It's it's a it's a one touch round the corner combination position. Disappear off the ball into the box. That's what it means. So for me, if I'm talking to Havertz, I'm saying prepare your body quicker to do it in one. That's what you got to do. You got to get yourself on the half turn. Stop setting the play because you're programmed to be a centre forward. Do it in one. Be like a a sieve. Let the ball flow through you a lot more, rather than stop with you. Flow through you, then go. Then motor. You've got the legs. Go. Be more aggressive on your cuts. If he can just do that, which he's got the talent, by the way, he's just coaching. He's got the talent. Mm -hmm. It's a different role. And then suddenly he looks different. He's receiving the ball different, and he looks like an active person, an active player, not somebody just looking around trying to understand the movements. He's just settling in. It's difficult for us to people say, but he's been here three years. We haven't been here three years playing for Arsenal. You know, and so that's the difference. But he just needs a bit more time. It's quite a complex role for him. I'm so hoping he can make it work. Because when you see what he can do, it's it's really good. It's really good. We'll finish with this very, very quickly. Just quickly. Uh, Arsenal women knocked out of Europe by Paris FC. Uh, it is heartbreaking. I feel... It was the European adventure last season when the Arsenal women, you know, really captured the imagination. I think of all Arsenal fans sold out the Emirates, um, continuing to go from strength to strength in terms of interest. I, I, I think we're well past the point of they needed to win to get people interested in women's football. Like that's not look, women's football is here to stay. Uh, it has tremendous interest, and I don't want to go too deep because the man with the most knowledge on this, Tim, is not on the pod. But 
it is a pretty crushing blow. And I guess there are people now sort of asking questions about Jonas Eideball. And I, I think it's fair. I, you know, Arsenal football club is a big, big club that should win everything, especially on the women's side. And there are people that do not think that that manager is achieving enough with the talent he's been given and the, the prestige of the club and that maybe some of the recruitment is around players that he's more familiar with, you know, and uh, look, here's my thing. No manager should be safe from criticism. And this loss is a damaging one. Do you think that the managerial criticism is fair? What's your what's your what's your take on the state of of Arsenal women and the progress and um, lack of progress? So, like I said, I, I have my own views. I was talking to Tim all all weekend and all week. We've been on, so we're we're in contact, shall we say? And I have my views, <laughs> and I and I and I and I test them out on him. So, but uh, my feeling is this whole Champions League qualification felt scary to me. And the reason why, there's been no preseason for this team. You know, yeah. three weeks ago, people were playing in the World Cup final. Literally three weeks ago. And now they're playing the most important games of the season without a preseason game. It's crazy. You know, so I'm not going to sit here and say the game needs to change. But I feel it's a real shame for the women's game that a club that would have had one or two maybe capacity stadium for these Champions League games is not in the competition. I think I think um, they played against Linkoping, who's actually in their season fully. They managed to win that game. And I think, again, my view is I thought the Paris game would be slightly easier. And they had to play them and they weren't they weren't they weren't good on the day, mate. They didn't play that first half of pro. I watched the whole game. They didn't play the first half with enough bravery, penetration. They woke up when they conceded two very, very quick goals, one very, very strange goal. They got back in and then blew it again extra time, got back in again, and then it's apparently just a lottery and end up going out. And it feels a shame for them because the Arsenal women team have really invested in good players and there'll be more coming and there's a real depth to that squad and they needed this competition to make sure that depth was maximised. There are people with sporting ambitions in that team that want to play in the Champions League. It's a great opportunity. It's a great experience. And that experience is no longer there. I haven't seen the stuff about criticism. I'm just disappointed for them. I was at a couple of Champions League games last year, the Bayern Munich and the Wolfsburg game, and they're great occasions. And it'll be great to have more of them at the stadium. And that's the biggest loss for me as a fan. And the players deserve that competition. Now, it's still... It, there's still growth to be had in the women's game. There's still growth to be had organizationally in the women's game. There's still changes that need to be made to the scheduling of the women's game. It needs to be thought about more deeply, particularly as it grows and there are commercial opportunities out there for people. It can't be ruined by bad scheduling. In the end, it's a football match on a plastic pitch, pre-season, no pre-season, there were certain players we wanted to play that we couldn't play because they just come back from the injuries. We couldn't put them on a plastic pitch. There's more to this than meets the eye. I'd love to have a conversation with Tim about it and hear his view. No doubt he'll be writing about it for Andrew, etc. And I can't wait till he gets back so we can have a discussion. But I'm so disappointed for him. I know he put a lot into that this week. And, you know, I'm so disappointed for a lot of the Arsenal women fans who really wanted to see this at a different level. It's a real, real shame. And hopefully they can bounce back and win the league. Yeah, just to be clear, too, I don't know any of this enough to know 
how much pressure should be on the manager after this exit. All I know is that, like any Arsenal team, uh, a disappointment of that level is going to lead people to question a manager. And, and I only raise it because I know Tim got a lot of those questions online. I saw him fielding a lot of those questions about, mm. you know, issues with the manager. And I, I think it's going to be a talking point. I'm sure to do a one club episode on Patreon. could talk about that in yep. a bit more depth. M- more than anything, what I feel is a disappointment because I found the European adventure last season to be the time I was most able to plug into what the women were doing and, and follow it and really, um, get invested in it just from a bandwidth and time standpoint. Right. Yeah. Um, and so it'll be sad not to have that again. And, you know, I find myself getting more invested in and more interested in Arsenal women. And that was something I was really looking forward to this season. So even as a more casual observer feels like a big loss. And I'm sure for the people that are more than casual observers, it's a crushing blow. So a disappointment, um, you know, certainly one that, that needs to be answered with uh, with performances now in in the league, so we'll yep. see how that goes. Well, and, and it may have implications, by the way, for the 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 signing of the, there's a goalkeeper they're trying to get from United, right? Um, yeah, well, that that's yeah. a that's a whole separate story, right? So, um, again, I got some information on that, but I don't want to reveal it because it's Tim's information, <laughs> and so uh, yeah, and so. But what I will say is, the first game is October the first against Liverpool, and they've sold forty thousand plus tickets. And so the interest is there. I think it's just a shame. I genuinely think it's a shame for the women's game that we're not at the highest, the best competition. But those are the rules. And we've got to take it right? until the rules change, until the game catches up with the expansion of the good teams. More and more teams are investing. And so the competition needs to grow accordingly. And um, the qualification needs to be thought about more seriously. And um, yeah, it'll get there. It's a shame that we were the victim. Man City were a victim of this a couple of years ago. And... They qualified third in the league and, and got knocked out in the qualifiers. It's tough. The qualifier standard is really, really high. And then we were caught out by it. We weren't quite prepared for it. So there you go. Yeah. Well, look, I, I certainly want to be careful about saying things that I, I don't. I mean, <laughs> I was going to say that I don't know enough about people would say, but that's just what you do naturally. And that that is a fair point. <laughs> but uh, in this case, I, I will uh, certainly keep my counsel because uh, I'm still just learning. And there's a lot of learning for me to do on a lot of subjects. So we'll leave it there for now. I think that's good for an interlow. As I said, uh, do not miss Premier League Power Rankings over on Patreon if you're a member there. And if you want to be a member there, we'd love to have you. Um, and uh, if you're not, we're just thrilled you're here. So whatever whatever suits you, we're just we're really pleased to be able to share this with you. So Clive's on Twitter, Clive PFC. Thanks, Clive. Thank you very much. My name's Elliot Smith, the Twitter Yank Gunner. We love you, and we'll talk to you after Arsenal 10 every new. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. 
From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.